You're listening to the latest dose of Bipolar Recorder. This podcast may cause dizziness and blurred vision. Enjoy. Welcome to Bipolar Recorder. My name is Hunter Keegan. Today's episode features my girlfriend, Alyssa, who lives with major depression. At the time of the recording, she was in the midst of a depressive episode, and she courageously explained her state of mind in her own words, and she also discussed the troubles facing her. In this episode, we talk about treatments for major depression, including ECT, which stands for electroconvulsive therapy. Remember, we are not doctors. These are simply the stories of our lives and how we live them. Enjoy the show. I am here today with Alyssa Taylor. She is my wonderful girlfriend who has agreed to come on to the show and discuss a little bit about her mental health trials and tribulations and successes. And Alyssa, what is your formal diagnosis? <clears throat> it's major depressive episode. It's major depressive disorder recurrent episode. Okay. And could you tell what the recurrent episode um, component means? It means it is present and not in remission. Okay, so it's something you're currently going through. Yes. How long have you been diagnosed for? I would say in, since I was 23, but I've been dealing with it for far longer. How long would you say you've dealt with it for? I want to say the onset of puberty. Okay, so like age 12? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, as you know, on this show, Bipolar Recorder, we usually do talk about bipolar disorder. However, depression is obviously a major component of bipolar, and major depression, like you have, is a type of mood disorder itself. So there's some crossover there between those two different diagnoses. So obviously, speaking to you, we'll focus more on the depression side of things, and we can talk about your experiences with it, as well as your treatments and what your outlook on it is. So why don't you... I know it's difficult to put into words, but how would you describe depression to somebody who's never experienced it before? I'd describe it as a sense of hopelessness, despair, self-pity, self-loathing, uh, anger, just kind of a frustration with life in general, and it's ongoing day in day out feeling like that it gets tiresome i noticed that the word sad <laughs> didn't come up when you were discussing the symptoms of it 
And I think that's interesting because a lot of people assume that depression means sadness, but it's actually a lot more complicated than that, like you've just described. So how, how do you know when you're having a depressive episode? Do you always feel that way? Or are there times where the depression seems to subside? What's that like for you? Yeah, that's just what I'm seeking, just a <clears throat> subsiding of the symptoms of depression. I'm currently undergoing ECT, electroconvulsive therapy, and I've been doing that for about a year now. And, <clears throat> um, yeah, lots of different medications over the years, lots of different modalities of psychotherapy, lots of different treatments, and um, yeah, just a lot of experience with um, anyone who might feel they have depression but don't know the first steps. I would start with just booking an appointment with the therapist and a psychiatrist. So you just... That's a lot to unpackage there, right? Because you just spoke about several different ways that depression can be treated. And one of the things you talked about was ECT, electroconvulsive therapy, which is widely misunderstood. I think a lot of people aren't even aware that that type of treatment still exists. And they see it in movies and television. And, you know, everyone always mentions like one flew over the cuckoo's nest when it when it comes to ECT treatments. And it's thought of like this very scary, very intense procedure. And I was wondering if you could talk maybe a little bit about what undergoing one of those treatments like is today for you um, and just kind of shed some light on what that actually consists of. During COVID, it's, I don't know how different it is from usual, but I would describe it as scary as the movies undergoing these treatments, especially more so since uh, the entire surgical ward is um, shut down due to COVID. So there's three patients Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So that's nine patients a week that can undergo ECT at uh, my healthcare. Um, and one of the doctors who's coming in next is uh, super scary. His name's Dr. Um, let's, let's try not to use too many actual names. Yeah. Obviously, undergoing a procedure like that is scary, but in television and film, it's usually depicted as like someone just puts electrodes on your head and they zap you while you're still fully conscious and your body is having all these crazy seizures and stuff. But for the time that I've known you and the way that you've explained the treatments to me while we've known each other, it sounds much different than that. For example, um, you've told me that they place you under full anesthesia Mm -hmm. and things of that nature. So would would you say that that is a a primary difference between the way the media may portray ECD treatment. That's definitely to protect the patient's safety undergoing the treatment, you know, to minimize seizures and um, 
any self-harm hurting oneself while one's incapacitated with the electrodes? Yeah, so they definitely want to keep the patients very safe while they're doing these types of treatments. And um, again, so anesthesia is used um, to keep the patient comfortable so there's no level of pain or um, um, trauma <clears throat> during it. They have a nurse present with the psychiatrist in the procedure room as well to um, help hold me down if I have any breakthrough seizures. They put a mouth guard in me um, and I wake up and <laughs> sometimes I don't really know what happened. Other times I realize I woke up from ECT. Right, and memory loss and short-term memory problems are a common side effect of ECT, right? Yeah, but um, with depression, it comes with a lot of PTSD, so there's a lot of memories I'm just happy to get rid of. So so you, you have these traumatic memories, and that's part of the reason why you're undergoing the ECT treatment, and you say that it kind of helps you further, um, I don't want to say repress, but does it allow the memories to subside more and become more manageable in a sense? Would you say that that's the main benefit that you're getting from it? They're just not at the forefront of my mind throughout the day, which is helpful. Yeah. <clears throat> so would you say that you have had success with ECT or you're still waiting to see the full results from it? How much longer do you intend to get those treatments for? I'd say throughout the rest of the year. Um, my, my goal is to um, reduce the amount of psychotropic drugs that I'm on. Okay. psychiatric drugs which uh, kind of goes hand in hand with bipolar and depression so let's circle back just for for the audience for clarity so you take traditional medications for depression so those are medications like I know one of them is Seroquel um, you've taken other medications in the, in the past or currently. Do you want to talk about the standard medications that you're on? I take um, <clears throat> Abilify and Effexor, which are two SNRI antidepressants, I believe, and then Seroquel at night as a mood stabilizer, and uh, I just discontinued Rexulti, which was a newer um, <clears throat> what, what what do you call it? the bad drugs or for the really fucked up people what's your Vralar oh, considered uh, <laughs> yeah so I take Vralar for bipolar disorder and I believe Vralar is categorized as an antipsychotic yes. yeah so I just discontinued an antipsychotic last week and uh I've been spotty with my Seroquel prescription this week, so I'm definitely on top of uh, PMS and ECT, so I'm just a wreck this week, but I managed to be here. We're, we're th yeah, and thank you so much for being here. I always <laughs> love speaking with you in any context, but especially when we have the chance to kind of share our stories with people. 
Um, you're throwing a lot of acronyms out there that people may not be familiar with, but I know when you say PMS, you mean uh, premenstrual syndrome, right? Yes. Right. So you were having your uh, your period on top of these other um, medications and this ECD treatment. So it's been kind of a long <laughs> week for you. On top of stopping medications and ECD. Yeah. Right. Discontinuing. So you've, you've had a lot going on lately. And just uh, not meeting with my therapist as often as I should be. Right. And earlier you were talking about different types of treatment modalities. And by that, I assume you mean things like cognitive behavioral therapy. That's the type of thing that you would traditionally do with a therapist, not with a psychiatrist. So uh, I'm just explaining this for the audience. So psychiatrists prescribe medication. Therapists usually do not prescribe a medication, but they do things such as cognitive behavioral therapy and other modalities to help treat patients. Could you talk a little bit about, I, I know you just said you haven't been seeing your therapist very much this year, but um, what would a typical cognitive behavioral therapy session or other type of therapy session be with your therapist under normal circumstances. So this current therapist I'm seeing is a hypnotist slash eye movement desensitization and reprocessing EMDR therapy therapist. And uh, in addition to cognitive behavioral therapy CBT there's DBT which is dialectical behavioral therapy which I've been doing for years as well but uh it's a lot of um just realizing you know as you go throughout the day thinking you no one is 100% accurate there are what cognitive distortions in our thinking so so and not recognizing them can uh be a problem so cbt and dbt are both ways of identifying and rejecting false thoughts is that correct it's so you're trying to um there's this a scientific theory that there are two hemispheres to the brain your left half your right half um your left half is in charge of logic your right half's in charge of creativity and for people who are you know left-handed it's reversed but um over time the so women have a bigger corpus callosum, which is the part which connects the two hemispheres. But right, over time, but but like just for right now, let's just focus on the CBT. Yeah, I'm D- trying to talk about D- it. It's trying to um, pretty much bring the two hemispheres of one's brain into harmony with each other. So okay, you're approaching highly emotional situations in a logical manner. Mm-hmm. And and there's different organs in the brain processing those emotions. Right? Is is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, I believe it's the amygdala in charge of emotions. And um, sometimes emotions can get out of control without any 
you know, factual basis. And it's important to notice them and deal with them. So through these, uh, through the DBT and CBT, you are working on identifying the distortions by activating different parts of the brain while you're undergoing the treatments, and this is meant to help reduce depressive symptoms. Is, is that uh, essentially what you're getting at there? So these uh, ECT treatments cause neurogenesis, which is the growth of new brain cells. But I, I mean, just as far as CBT and DBT, and then we can definitely get back into the ECT. Yeah, definitely using different um, <clears throat> modes of thought to approach a certain situation, just looking at it from many different angles, um, and just widening widening one's perspective is very helpful in treating i find the depressive symptoms of bipolar disorder because uh depression kind of reduces one's world to a very very small area and um just anything to uh break the brain out of that habitual pattern of negativity is helpful yeah a lot of people say that depression is very isolating is that what you're getting at there yeah i mean it's no it sounds bad to say but no one wants to hang around with someone who's depressed or maybe that's just my own depressed brain what makes you say that i don't want to be around a depressed person so why would anyone else I love being around you, and even when you're having your depressed phases, I, I think that you're a Thank you. bright and intelligent and funny woman, um, but I certainly see that the self-perception can feel as if, you know, why would people want to be around me when I'm having my symptoms? Why would people want to spend time around someone who's perceived as being very negative? Like, I get that. Maybe it's just harder to... um act how I want to during symptoms because I'm having to battle them in the moment. Could you give an example of a cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, or dialectical behavioral therapy, DBT, um, technique that you would use? For example, if you were having a depressive symptom, what would one of those strategies look like to minimize or help avoid uh, like an, an intrusive suicidal thought or, or something like that. So sometimes I'll, uh, <clears throat> I'll start crying out of nowhere and I don't even know what it's about and uh, kind of catches me off guard and instead of freaking out and getting upset about it like oh my gosh I'm crying like uh, something must be wrong I'll uh, treat it as if, you know, my brain is trying to tell me something. I just don't quite understand it. So I'll start breathing deeply. I'll try to identify what emotion kind of triggered that. But it's not the end of my day anymore if I start crying out of nowhere. Yeah. 
I won't let it be the end of my day anymore. So crying would be like the behavioral component, mm -hmm. but as you are acknowledging that you're crying and you're trying to logically think through things that would make you be having that behavior. Sometimes it's cognitive, other times it's physiological, and sometimes I don't know which. So I just have to treat it either way and deep breathing, grounding myself. Um, yeah, grounding techniques are a common uh, part of cognitive behavioral therapy. Could you talk maybe about a grounding technique that you use when you're when you're having behaviors like crying for for no apparent reason or so you mentioned suicidal and so maybe I'll mention something like well what if I have voices coming into my head that are telling me I'm worth nothing I should just kill myself you know it's all pointless why even try right these these are all examples of negative thoughts yes. that you have when you're having that suicidal yeah. ideation in, in your in your mind yeah it's it comes on just as suddenly as these crying spells I don't know where these voices come from or what triggers them but they start yelling in my mind out of nowhere and, and, and in you... the past I used to believe them as if they were my own voices when you say voices in your head, do you mean like audible hallucinations or do you mean like thoughts, quote unquote, telling you what to believe? Because there's a really important distinction there mm -hmm. that we need to make sure that we that we understand for the audience. So these are cognitive thoughts in my head. They're, they're not hallucinations. They're not hallucinations, though. I have had experiences with hallucinating audio. Auditory. Audio, auditory and visually. Yeah. yeah, and actually a lot of people don't know this, but having hallucinations and delusions can be a symptom of like extremely severe depression. There's something called... Or bipolar disorder. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and with bipolar disorder, um, I, I believe they call it psychotic depression. Um, and when you're in that depressed state of mind... There can be things like, um, I'll just use my own example um, that I know you've already heard this story a bunch of times, but I had a psychotic depressive episode a few years ago where I thought that I had been infected with a parasite and it, it was extremely um, disruptive and distressing. So the, these are things that can happen with depression. And I, um, I hope I didn't cut you off there too much. Was there anything else that you had to say before I kind of interjected with those examples? Psychi psychotic depression is very isolating. Mm -hmm. That's all. How often would you say that you've, like how many times have you experienced psychotic depression? I want to, I don't want to say I experience it month in, month out, but I'll definitely say I get it worse in the winter with um, seasonal affective with the slight in the winter. Have you been diagnosed with seasonal affective disorder as mm -hmm. well? So that's an example of a comorbid condition with depression. So 
um, seasonal affective disorder um, where people tend to feel more down in the winter months due to the lack of sunlight is also associated with quote-unquote regular depression, even though they're separate diagnoses, right? So your diagnosis would be major depressive disorder and seasonal affective disorder, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Okay, cool. So how, obviously this is a big part of your life and it's um, a unfortunate defining characteristic of, of your your life and, and your worldview or maybe i don't want to put words in your mouth do you do you see it as positive in any sort of way have you felt like you've maybe taught yourself anything over the years as you've um as you've dealt with these experiences <clears throat> no um i'm definitely more empathetic with uh individuals strangers people i know and i'm able to um pick up on their emotions very easily due to the history i have with my own emotions but i wouldn't say it has helped me whatsoever it's robbed me of years of my life wow. and friendships relationships family um <clears throat> but i won't let it win so that's all i can really <laughs> say to those who are suffering with suicidal depression is like don't let it win you know mm -hmm. it would be easy to kill yourself if you really hated yourself you'd hang in there <laughs> yeah keep um that uh what is that Ma masochistic kind of mm -hmm. tendency so when it when it comes to these things that you've learned about becoming more empathetic more self-aware um those are positives but you feel overall it it is a negative thing like depression is a negative thing to have in your life mm -hmm. right yeah okay so when you um when you hear about people who say maybe that they're suicidal and your message to them is an uplifting one which is to keep going and keep your head up and um no what so how would how would you explain in your own words it would be easier to die easier to die yeah so you know the hard thing would be to stick it out and <laughs> what is depression but every day being so fucking hard mm -hmm. so your message <clears throat> is that people should kill themselves no it's... <laughs> i just want to make sure i'm understanding what you're what you're saying i'm saying don't take the easy way out okay like the, there's a sort of like nobility and and not taking one's own life yeah yeah there it's better not to take your own life just to be clear yeah we are not a pro suicide podcast that would be no. that would be terrible but i'm not against people who are suicidal i empathize yeah um empathy is super important when it comes to mental health for sure yeah it's it's really hard to understand that mindset um especially if it is part of a psychotic creature. Mm -hmm. 
does any is there any family history of depression that you know of um I'd say a history of depression on my mom's side and then a history of bipolar and dementia and PTSD on my dad's side. Yeah, Mm -hmm. because often there are genetic components to these diseases. It's not always... I I know earlier you mentioned that PTSD had been a big trigger for it, but for some people it's not just PTSD on your own, on its own. Or it can be multiple factors, such as in your own case, genetics and then, um, you know, traumatic situations that have complicated things further, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I never really want to bring people down around me. So, yeah, depression is very isolating. Do you feel that it's isolating because you have to present yourself in a way that you don't actually feel? I have to put on a positive face. Mm-hmm. Um, which can be draining. Right. It takes more emotional energy to appear happy, even if you're suffering on the inside, I think. Yeah, it's <clears throat> in a weird way, it's more to protect other people. Yeah. Because you you don't want to, like, unload your baggage onto them or something like that? No, I'm not a 13-year-old girl anymore. What do you mean by that? (laughs) I'm not a drama queen. Not a drama queen? Yeah. Don't want to attract attention to yourself? I don't need to. Yeah. I don't see the point in it anymore. Yeah. So what what is your outlook right now? I know you you've been having a really rough week so far between the ECT and the other things that you've been talking about and it seems like you're kind of in a low point right now. I mean, I can hear that just speaking with you and of course the conversations we've had before recording this episode. You've been having a tough time. So right now Do you feel any sense of hope or do you feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel that you're working toward or do things seem pretty, pretty grim right now? So at the start of my uh, journey, I was definitely an atheist, hardcore, but 20 years later, I am a devout Christian and uh, depression is definitely you know, brought me closer to God, and, um, yeah, I have endless hope that things will get better, you know, maybe not today, and maybe it's a hard week this week, Mm -hmm. and every now and then I feel like my life is falling apart, uh, like this week, but nothing's permanent, you know, everything's always changing, Yeah. so before I know it, things will be different. Yeah, you're still developing on your journey. Um, I mean, aren't we all? Yeah, I think life is a learning process until we die, so. Yeah, yeah, that's, um, that's definitely very, very interesting to hear you talk about. Yeah, I definitely had to see treatment on my own when I was 19 
Mm-hmm. Um, what made you decide to seek out treatment? I was self-medicating for years with uh, drugs and alcohol. Yeah. And I was tired. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the moods were getting worse. The lows were getting lower. And uh, it just wasn't sustainable. Mm-hmm. Which started a 10-year journey on <clears throat> trying to find the right medications from psychiatrists and doctors. So you had been self-medicating with drugs and alcohol. You realized that that wasn't sustainable. So you sought out a psychiatrist when you were 19, and that's when you started being placed on uh, medical I, I, pharmaceutical interventions. I was able to see a family doctor. Oh, so you saw like a general practitioner? Yes. Okay. So, and then did they refer you to a psychiatrist? No. Or, so you just worked with the general practitioner mm-hmm. for a while? That's yeah. something that a lot of people end up doing at first. But... And I don't recommend it. Right, right. If you're seeing a general general practitioner, please try to ask for a referral to an actual psychiatrist because these people are, are treating gallbladder issues. <laughs> you know, they don't know too much about psychiatric disorders. Right. Yeah, That's I, I couldn't agree with you more, and that's something that... I think a lot of professionals would echo, which is that you should be seeing a specialist if you're initially diagnosed by a general practitioner or another doctor. You should be referred to someone who does specialize in in psychiatry, in psychology. That's not what many people experience, though. Yeah, it's unfortunate. And then around the age of 25, I started seeking help from support groups for mental health. Like group therapy or community-based peer organizations or? Yeah, the latter. Community-based peer-led organizations. I know. So Mm -hmm. um, Alyssa and I actually first met through a support group for depression and bipolar disorder. It's called uh, Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance. It's a nonprofit organization in the United States that seeks to help people with depression and bipolar disorder find communities of other people living with those diseases so they can provide feedback and moral support to each other. It's a really positive thing. And so when you were 25 years old, that's the first time you you really came across that, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. And you've stuck with it now for, what, six years? Because you're 31 now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, she's nodding her Almost head. Almost 32. Almost 32. Yeah, we're getting up there. But um, it sounds like there's been a lot of strides that you've made since you were 19. And even since you were 12, when you first started having those symptoms, you've put a lot of things in place in your life to to try to overcome these struggles yeah the best advice I can give is just try to figure out a a place where you can be without drugs and alcohol where you're just Mm -hmm. okay like day in day out right and I have to commend Hunter because he's been sober five 
six years. Yeah, going on six years now. Um, I stopped using my drug of choice, which was alcohol, when I was about 22 or 23 years old, and I'm now in my late 20s. I do use marijuana um, occasionally, <laughs> as as uh, Alyssa is is well aware. I do enjoy marijuana from time to time. So I can't say these days that I'm stone sober. I did the stone sober thing for about three years. I didn't take any sort. I, I wouldn't even drink kombucha tea because it has trace amounts of ethanol in it. Um, and then after about three years of total sobriety, I realized that I, I needed some sort of, um, I guess, I, I don't want to say outlet, but just something to kind of take things down a notch. Um, my psychiatrist had prescribed me Klonopin, which is a very addictive and dangerous medication to be taking. But, um, you know, eventually I talked to him about marijuana. At the time, um, marijuana was illegal in my home state, which is Virginia. It's still illegal. It's just decriminalized. It, it, as of July 1st, 2021, it's legal um, for medical and for recreational use. So that, that's a very recent change, though. Um, but anyway, so my, my point being this psychiatrist who I had been seeing at the time, I talked to him about medical marijuana and he was like, well, I don't really know if we would be able to prescribe it to you for your bipolar symptoms. But then he was literally like, you can drive down the road to Washington, D.C., where it's much easier to obtain and get it that way. So that was how my crazy psychiatrist kind of led me into um, uh, using marijuana again, but that that's a strange example. I no longer see that psychiatrist for a variety of reasons. It probably wasn't the most responsible advice he could have given me, but since I had talked to him about it, I felt better about using marijuana again, just because um, after talking to my doctor, I knew that there wouldn't be any side effects on the, you know, traditional medications that I was taking, and that that had been my concern. So um, thank you. Thank you for that, though. Thank you for the kudos on that. Um, it's been a long journey. You're um, I know that you, you strive to live a, a relatively sober and healthy lifestyle, too. Um, you... You drink in, in moderation, and um, I know you're you're a fan of marijuana as well. Could you talk a little bit about how marijuana has helped you, or maybe ways that it's potentially not helped? We try to go for a full 360 perspective here on this show. Yeah, I was never um, diagnosed with a generalized anxiety disorder or any sort of anxiety oddly enough um but yeah it does help with anxiety um yeah i i mean i don't know i, I don't know if how how I would describe mental illness like is it just not fitting in in the modern world or like mm -hmm. are you 
exposed to things that other people don't experience. Yeah, you're saying, like, what's the difference between a mentally ill person and a quote-unquote normal person? I, I mean, I feel I smoke marijuana as, like, a protective measure for myself, like, to protect myself against, like, emotional energy I don't want, or I don't, it's weird. It's kind of in my head I don't a think, bit. I don't think that's too weird. Um, it, it helps you focus more on positive emotions, it sounds like you're saying. It definitely like takes me into the present moment and aware of my surroundings. Yeah. As I, opposed to being caught up in my thoughts. I feel that way too. I think that marijuana keeps me like very, very grounded. Like Sometimes when we smoke weed together... I um I don't know, I just feel like so much more connected to you or if we're in a social setting, so so connected to you and the people around us um in a way that is not typically how I feel. You know, sometimes with my own bipolar disorder and my own mental health struggles that I work through um, I feel very disconnected from the people around me, and I feel very not grounded. Um, so sometimes I've found that marijuana does help with that. And of course, we would never encourage or discourage or make any sort of recommendation on what anyone should do with their own uh, treatment or their own um, personal choices. But I guess for us personally, we, we would say that marijuana has been fairly positive, right? I'd say it's important to find something that can calm you down throughout the day. And I'm not saying marijuana is a very good <clears throat> substitute for that, but uh, anything enjoyable or relaxing that, you know, some people like painting or coloring or playing music or working out there's lots of positive things that can calm you down as opposed to smoking marijuana so <laughs> yeah there's that i wouldn't say marijuana should be the only thing in people's toolkits when it comes to battling mental health symptoms um, and i would say that it can increase anxiety in a lot of individuals with mental health disorders yeah that's a, that's a great point and thank you for mentioning that because like just in my own subjective experience like people who i know like i personally know people with bipolar disorder who can't like cannot smoke weed because it immediately triggers panic attacks and things like that and I've heard mixed things from various psychiatrists who I've worked with over the years regarding like whether marijuana use is acceptable or not. So it is controversial and, and we should be clear about that. You know, it's different strokes for different folks. Your mileage may vary. Your experiences may not be the same as our own experiences. And to your point, Alyssa, having other activities and things that you do in your day-to-day -day life um, to fill time and bring you pleasure. I know you mentioned painting. I know that you're a, a great artist. You're very into painting. So that's a big one for you. Um, you're a very creative person in general. Do you feel like any of that creativity might come from living with mental illness? I find it's very important 
for me to meditate um, throughout the week. So I noticed uh, this week I was struggling a lot because I didn't really have time to like quiet my thoughts and lay down and um, <clears throat> kind of just let my mind wander on its own for however long, 15 minutes, whatever. Um, just kind of connecting to my whatever intuition or just, <laughs> I don't know, reconciling different parts of my brain. Uh, <clears throat> and without that, I can feel very ungrounded, very anxious, very... <clears throat> um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely support a sober lifestyle. Um, and as far as medication and stuff, I, I'd follow doctor's recommendations, uh, but take all advice with a grain of salt. Um, you know, <clears throat> you know what's best for your own body sometimes, mm -hmm. more so than a someone with a MD or a PhD <laughs> in brain health. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, I, I think it's like important to listen to doctors, but also doctors don't always uh, yeah. know what the fuck they're I'm not a guinea about. pig. Yeah, exactly. It's like you, you're not just going to throw a bunch of different drugs at me and have me not ask any questions about what they're for or what they're supposed to do or what the side effects are. That's always kind of a complicated balance to strike. And when you find a good psychiatrist or a good psychologist, I think they, they'll they want to work with you. To or find they'll be able to see if you're in a bout of depression where it's hard for you to communicate with other people. To communicate your needs for the type of treatment that you yeah. need. need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's hardest to get help with depression. What, what do you think makes getting help for depression so hard? I've heard a cliche description of it. It's anger turned in, inwards. Hmm. Angry at oneself. Um, which, you know, kind of makes sense to me every now and then. You know, not living up to one's standards of experiences of failure, experiences of social rejection, isolation, just all these traumas that build up while growing up sometimes. And sometimes it's hereditary. Sometimes, sometimes I swear it's ge geographical. Yeah. Like you think there's different regions in the world where depression is more common. Mm -hmm. That's something that there's definitely got to be a ton of research out there on, and unfortunately I'm not familiar with it, but I, I'm sure that's something that's been studied extensively. That's, that's a really interesting point. Yeah, so uh, if you have depression, I recommend going out, buying a happy light. I think there's one on Amazon, $10.00. Happy lights are like white light panels <laughs> that are, uh, how, how would you explain it? It's basically- They're like, artificial sunlights. Yeah, it, they're like a, it's like a panel of light bulbs that creates natural oh, LEDs. light. LEDs, yeah. Yeah, 
yeah, LEDs, I'm sorry. So you think that's very helpful for people with depression? Mm-hmm. Getting one that's over 10,000 lux, which is equivalent to sunlight hitting your face. That's cool. Are there any other things that you've found that have helped you a lot? Yeah, staying active, um, getting out, fighting the agoraphobia, which is the what fear of leaving one's house. Yeah, agoraphobia. I believe it's a fear of society, a fear of people. If I'm not mistaken, I don't have my dictionary open in front of me right now. Yeah, and it's pretty easy right now during coronavirus. Yeah, the COVID thing has has definitely impacted a lot of people's mental health. Would you say it's impacted your mental health? Because, like, personally, I feel like COVID definitely made a lot of life disruptions for me. But I don't think that it directly, like, made my mental health bad. How about you? Yeah, it's definitely negatively impacted me. Afraid to go out in public. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm just using it as an excuse to not talk to the people closest to me. I don't know. I don't think you're using it as an excuse. I think a lot of people are in the same boat right now. I mean, yeah, things are really going to change in the next 20 to 30 years, so I wouldn't want anyone to miss out on it, you know, by committing suicide. Don't do that. Yeah, don't commit suicide. We'll, We'll see where this crazy life keeps taking us. Yeah, and, um, so far this year, I'm trying to practice not taking in negative negativity around me practice uh protecting myself from it and only taking in positivity that's awesome because mm-hmm. uh with depression it can kind of be like 99 to 1 negative to positive sometimes so. <sighs> yeah yeah um let me think here for a second is there is there anything that we haven't touched on that you would like to expand on or anything? I don't know. I mean, you've done a lot of talking, and I, I've really, really appreciated you being so candid and honest with everything that you've shared with me and, and with our listeners. Um, I think that's extremely um, brave and, and powerful. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about or anything that you feel like we may have glossed over? Um, I I would say if you start medicating before age 18, you're probably at risk of having a mental health disorder yourself. When when you say medicating, do you self-medicating, right? Such as uh, trying to drink to calm down or using substances to wake yourself up, calm yourself down, whatever, to sleep. Um... That, that would probably be my first experience with it. And then I 
voluntarily admitted myself to a psychiatric hospital for the minimum stay, whatever, and realized I really liked freedom. Yeah, well, so um, how, okay, a couple of questions about the hospital. How old were you? 17. How long did you stay there for? Three days. Three days, yeah. That that's pretty intense, isn't it? I've been hospitalized too. Um, what what you know? It was sad. Yeah, seeing all the children in there. I was in the children's ward, but they'd walk us through the adult ward to get to like the art class or whatever, mm-hmm. which was really sad. Seeing all the patients in their beds, yeah, kind of doped out of their mind. Yeah. It's it's a very depressing and uh, for me it it was very traumatizing. I was in there when I was about twenty two, so I was in the adult ward. I just couldn't imagine what parents would put eight, twelve year old children in there. Yeah, you for weeks, for months. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's it's definitely some fucked up shit so you would say that your experience your even just a three-day experience in in the psych ward was not positive for you is there anything else you wanted to say about hospitalization i think that's actually something you and i haven't talked about too much even just personally like in our personal life and then i when i was 23 i went into partial hospitalization PHP program and I was told that no matter what I got to get out of bed every day Mm -hmm. that's it kind of just a blanket statement that it was a drill sergeant this a drill sergeant yeah like was he literally like a yeah a previous drill sergeant oh my god yeah well that's totally the type of person you want cognitive behavioral therapy advice yeah that's I've had a lot of really bad experiences trying oh, to the, access mental health care. By the way, regarding the background noise, it's because we live close to a major road, so people like to rev their engines really super loud sometimes. So um, I'm sorry that there was that background noise right there, but I I didn't mean to cut you off. What what were you saying? Um, yeah, just. I, I'm also diagnosed with uh, attention deficit disorder, um, primarily inattentive, not the hyperactive type. So that's the, the uh, ADHD inattentive type is the one that just makes it hard to focus, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So do you think that that's had an impact? How, how is that made things more difficult or um, is that just another one of the things that you find yourself living with on a day-to-day basis yeah it's like my priorities are messed up I mean I don't tell myself they're messed up but it seems like compared to people I know and whatever society's expectations Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) yeah it's definitely a very very complicated world that we live in and we have been speaking for almost an hour now and i know that that's a long time and you've been an awesome sport about coming on here and 
helping me out with this. I really, really appreciate it. You're so welcome. Um, was there any any other like closing thoughts or comments that you wanted to add? Um, just yeah, try not to doubt oneself. You know, that inner voice. Try to love it. Um, I've had a lot of success journaling and try not to <clears throat> berate that inner voice of mine. You know, trying to learn to love myself. Yeah, learning to love yourself is important. Showing self-compassion is something that I've been trying to work on a lot too lately. Because I've found that I beat myself up a lot. And that's just not a healthy state of mind to be in 24-7. It's pretty taxing, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely very taxing. Well, thank you so much for inviting me on the podcast, Hunter. I hope if there's anyone listening with any sort of mental health issues, we were able to shed some light at all or said yeah. something of relevance. Yeah, I, I hope so. I hope people got something out of this conversation that was positive. And for people who don't live with mental illness, maybe it shed some light on what it's like to live with these struggles. Um, I guess that's it. Did you have any, do you have any like websites or social media that you wanted to plug? Or are you off the grid when it comes to that? Um, I... Um, Alyssa Nicole Taylor, A-L-Y-S-S-A, um, Nicole without an E, and that is a pretty unique, that's my name, Alyssa Nicole Taylor, you'd be able to find me, probably Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all sorts. So Alyssa Nicole Taylor, Nicole without an E, right? Yep. Okay, so you're you're comfortable with people reaching out to you if they if they want to. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, thank you so much for all of that. I I think that's awesome. And again, thank you so much for helping you're today so with welcome. this. All right. Awesome. I enjoyed it a lot. Thank you. I hope that this episode showed what it's like to live in a depressed state of mind, and also showed that it's possible to fight against it. My name is Hunter Keegan. This was another installment of Bipolar Recorder. Keep listening, and if you're enjoying the show, be sure to tell your friends so we can continue to grow. We're on Twitter, at Bipolar Recorder, and I am on Twitter, at H.H. Keegan. Thank you so much. Bipolar Recorder is a listener-supported show. To help keep the show running, consider checking out our Patreon page or visiting BipolarRecorder.com to support via PayPal. Unless otherwise stated, the hosts and guests on Bipolar Recorder are not licensed mental health professionals. Bipolar Recorder is not a substitute for therapy or professional medical intervention. If you are having a mental health crisis, please contact your local emergency services.